0: What's up guys? Welcome back to the show. I hope 2020 is off to a great start for you so far. It's certainly off to an interesting start for Bitcoin. My guest today is John Carvalho, also known as Bitcoin Error Log on Twitter. He's one of the driving forces at BitRefill, which is a company that allows you to quote live on crypto. Um, and they do that by supplying a vast array of gift cards uh, for pretty much all your daily needs that you can purchase with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. John's an OG Bitcoiner. He's been in the space for a long time. Uh, he's also an educator. His writing is is very well received and very highly regarded in the space. I've really enjoyed a piece he put out fairly recently uh, talking about uh, who secures Bitcoin and uh, thought that was really fascinating. It just kind of reminded me that I think a lot of us, or I'll speak for myself, I try to keep up with what's going on in Bitcoin And it's so hard because there's so much going on and there's so much innovation happening. And you're kind of, I I find myself trying to keep up with like the bleeding edge, but I still think it's tremendously valuable to reflect and reconsider the basics from time to time, if not often, uh, because there's always a different perspective and there's always a greater appreciation that you can have for the basics. And, uh, you know, this is why myself and I'm sure many of you are so just enamored with this thing because every time you look at it you see something different in it or you gain a better appreciation for the implications or what it represents and uh, so John in his writing uh, has helped me do that and so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, final note, John actually mentioned in the show that um, one of his favorite Bitcoiners was Eric Voskuil. He's a big fan of his thinking and his writing. And uh, Eric actually reached out to me recently. He's hosting the Crypto Econ Conference in Hanoi, Vietnam, from February twenty eighth to March third. And uh, he just asked me if I could shout it out, shout it out on the pod. Uh, no problem from my side. Eric and I had an awesome conversation, three plus hours long. If you're into Eric's stuff, um, you might enjoy that episode, so check it out. And if you want some more information about the conference, you can visit CryptoEcon.org c r y p t o e c o n.org, uh, to get all the info. That's it. Enjoy the show.
1: let All right,
0: man. Well, let's uh, jump into it. So uh, thanks for giving me the time today. I've been... Uh, enjoying your uh, your output for a while you know I, I first came across you uh during the infamous roger Vera interview and mm-hmm. uh and since that time uh, have been following your stuff and then recently uh you wrote an article uh well you you put out some stuff on twitter asking you know a poll or a multiple choice thing about who who secures bitcoin and then you put out an article following that and then guy swan at the crypto economy did a reading of it, and then he provided his thoughts afterwards. And uh, I really enjoyed that. So I just wanted to get you on to maybe dig deeper into that and then uh, see where we go from there. Well, thanks
1: for having me. Yeah, I also really enjoy what Guy is doing with reading, you know, interesting articles and stuff. And it was kind of cool to hear, like, your own writing, like read it <laughs> read, read, read as if it's like a book on tape or something.
0: Yeah, he, he's got the voice for it for sure. And obviously he's, you know, he's very well informed and spends a lot of time Digging into this stuff. So it's a – you know, Guy's one of the most value-add, you know, podcasts or content producers in the space in my opinion.
1: Yeah, definitely underrated. You know, the way he not only will like force you to read something by listening to it but also like he goes into explaining everything as well.
0: Yeah, and you – I mean I just – you know, life is going. Life happens, right? So you don't realize how much great stuff is being written by so many of the the people in the space. You know, so you look at Guy's library, and you're just like, "Holy fuck!" There's like, there's hundreds of them. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, you know, in this like super connected society, we're making having people curating information is definitely valuable.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. So, John, you're in. Is your location uh, a secret, or are you public about where you where you are? Uh,
1: no, it's not really a secret. I live in Romania.
0: Right. And so do you mind if I ask, you know, why Romania?
1: Sure. Um, basically uh, around, I think it was the end of 2016, um, I was uh, getting involved with a, a private project basically with some guys I knew, and they happened to be from Romania. And this was a Bitcoin project basically to work on uh, allowing video streaming and Bitcoin tipping. Um and that was kind of like a, a private pet project I did for a couple of years with them. And uh, about a year ago, was you know I was at the point where I had to decide to either double down and raise money and do it very seriously, or to kind of move on and do something new. So I moved on. All right.
0: And what's it like over there, living in Romania?
1: Um, I don't know how familiar you are with, you know, Europe or Eastern Europe, but, you know, it's it's pretty quiet. It's uh, peaceful. It's similar climate to maybe, say, the northeast in the U.S. here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it can get pretty warm in the in the summer and pretty cold in the winter. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's in a nice area. A lot of places in Europe to visit that aren't far from here. It's pretty good.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah, I was in uh, – I drove – through Europe, or not through all of Europe, but through uh, through much of it in 2018 in summer in a, in a motorhome. So I didn't get quite as far uh, east as Romania, but I, I went through uh, uh, Czech Republic and a little bit of Slovakia and Hungary, and then down through uh, Slovenia into Italy. It Beautiful, I mean, beautiful place. Obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah. I still have a lot more I should probably visit, but there's there's no rush. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, what's keeping you busy these days? You mentioned, uh, you know, the reason why you went over there. Uh, what and you know you're doing bit refull now, but maybe just give me like the. The, the abbreviated version of, of how you came uh, into Bitcoin and how to be here. I know you have talked about it a million times, so we don't need to to <laughs> to spend too much time on it. Let me, well, this is supposed to
1: be a rapid fire podcast. See how <laughs> fast I can go. Um, I came in late 2012 into the Bitcoin world uh, because of Silk Road news. Uh, started looking into it. Became you know addicted, obsessed with Bitcoin and all the concepts and you know disciplines related to discussing and debating it. Um, played with everything. Everything to do with Bitcoin mining, trading, et cetera, and eventually became more interested, you know, in you know the public conversation and political aspects i um, not really a big fan of politics in general. I totally ignore them. But in the Bitcoin world, it's definitely very interesting to me. Um, then started trying to do actual projects where I could either help Bitcoin or at least have a job in crypto. And that's when the, the video project kind of came about. And <clears throat> now I am actually having my career merging with crypto. Uh, my previous life, I was doing you know marketing and branding related work. And now I'm doing communications and kind of business development work at Bit refill. Um, and that started about a year ago. Um, in that year and uh, the year before, BitRefill has been growing pretty aggressively. Um, things are going pretty well. We're playing around with lightning stuff. Um, in general, BitRefill is a company that's trying to help people be able to live on crypto, um, primarily through offering gift card and phone refill products um, with crypto as a payment method, but also kind of building infrastructure for the kind of commerce side of Bitcoin using Lightning Network.
0: Wow. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
1: actually, I'm sure I skipped plenty and said too much about some things, but... No,
0: that, 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 that was awesome. Um, I want to so the first thing I've heard you talk you know the first project that you did in in uh, in bitcoin was the streaming service this was exotica.tv or something like that yes, was that the yes. name yeah and so this was like adult uh, entertainment and you were allowing you were trying to integrate bitcoin tips or payment for that
1: Pretty much. I mean, I'm always interested, like, even back then, you could still argue this is within the realm of, like, circular economy for Bitcoin. I've always been interested in letting people kind of leverage the power of Bitcoin to opt out of normal society. And this seemed like a really good fit. Um... What I learned in working in that on that project is that, and and in like Romania is like one of like the vital organs of the adult entertainment industry as far as you know live streaming goes. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about the porn side, but you know, as far as the online live streaming, it, it's you know it's it, it's a big part of the industry. And what I learned from you know the people in that industry that have been in there for years uh, helped me kind of realize that even though it's a great fit on paper, um, the scale to do this properly to actually try to move the industry over to this technology or or using it instead and realizing the benefits the scale would have to be much larger and the risk still is pretty is 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 just gets higher because the industry just really isn't quite ready yet and the problems that are that are being solved it's more like for a portion of the industry you know there there there's definitely a portion of the industry that's kind of being you know oppressed by the banking system and and other, you know, business aspects with banking and and fraud with credit cards. Like er everything is like more expensive to process in this world. So there is some problems that can be solved there. But, you know, between things like Bitcoin volatility, education, um, skepticism, there's a lot to conquer. And you can't really do this with like a garage
0: startup budget. Sure. And did you have to like, Individually, one on one, pitch like the streamers? Would you contact them and be like, you know, yo, we're not, to-
1: not so much um, part of the reason why Romania was a good choice for this project and why um, it, it's not quite that way is there's a studio kind of environment, and so you what you have is you have like uh chat studios, video chat studios, and they're uh, <clears throat> you know, having anywhere between a dozen to you know, two hundred different models that they have enlisted in their studio that are you know, working in different shifts, etc. Um, and so it's more about convincing the studios that this is something and, and, and educating the studios that this could be something good for them. And honestly, you know, I, I did talk to many big studio owners here and it, the, the, the volatility and the education and stuff it was an issue, but it was not nearly an issue as much as I thought. Um, mostly the issue is just if you want to compete, you have to compete on generating traffic. And generating traffic of people that want to pay in crypto, well, everything is a subset of Bitcoin, right? So the subset of, of Bitcoiners or, or crypto people, if you want to go broader, um, <clears throat> that want to pay for online adult streaming is small. Um, so it, the, the market, your your job really becomes trying to convert the industry to a new technology and that's just it's a much bigger undertaking
0: right and why do you think the market is small for bitcoiners wanting to spend on you know such a product
1: because the market of bitcoin is small it's
0: small right.
1: yeah You know, I I think we forget this. You know, I've been here uh, seven years, and you know, the people that have been here since before, say, 2017, like it feels like forever, and it feels like (laughs) a big, big part of your world and a big part of your life. But, but really, like the amount of users in in this space and the amount of businesses, and it's still really small. Even the market cap is still really small. If you start comparing to things,
0: yeah, it's it's one of those things that. I mean, I don't consciously remind myself of it often, it's just something that, you know, bubbles up in your consciousness every so often, because, as you said, you know, some of us are super deep in this space for various reasons, you know, maybe we're building a career in it, maybe we're just super optimistic and enthusiastic about what it represents and all that kind of stuff, and the bulk of our conversations, or at least intellectual conversations, are around it, and yada, 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 so you, you end up thinking, like, this is a, you know, a massive, like, black hole that's consuming the world, and you hear about it, you know, from Congress people or the president, and you're like, oh my god, it's happening, but really, you know, you go out into normal, normal life, and yeah, you know, people, I, I, I think a lot of people have heard of it now, and we can probably attribute that to 2017, but You know, not very many people understand it, know it, value it, you know, are that intrigued by it. So, you know, we're still we're still quite niche, I guess. For sure. I
1: mean, I've been around long enough to see several of these like cycles that we have. And, you know, there there are you know, recurring things that happen every cycle. And one of them is, it seems like everybody has heard of Bitcoin when it's mooning. And it seems like everybody thinks Bitcoin is dead when it's not. Um, And so, you know, you kind of have to work around that, but it's okay. Um, Do you you think it's it's just... Sorry,
0: go go ahead. I was
1: gonna say, it's not just small in that context, too. It's also small in that the amount of Bitcoin we can actually see and interact with is even smaller than the amount of actual people using crypto um you know like like echo chamber kind of considerations with crypto twitter and things like this like this is such a small subset of the people in the world in bitcoin and then now in social media and we and sometimes i think a lot of people think it's
0: like the whole crypto world right yeah totally agree and that you know being in in bitcoin twitter because the way my story goes and again i'll i'll be brief but you know i was interested in the space um you know whenever bitcoin reached parity with the us dollar because i remember a big kerfuffle about that but um you know didn't get really involved until 2014 and have been following it ever since but was never really you know into i didn't know bitcoin twitter was a thing right so i i just kind of did my own thing and and talked about it and maybe recorded some interviews when the, the opportunities arose but uh, when i finally did kind of wind up in bitcoin twitter this year you know, first of all, it's like holy shit, this is awesome. Like these are these are my people. I get to I get to geek out with all these people, um, but it made me realize like how, you know, because the re- a lot of like my f- other friends, for example, they have no idea that Bitcoin Twitter exists. But to those of us who are in it, it's like the end all be all. It's where information is, you know, all the interesting thoughts and information and advancements and all that kind of stuff is flowing on a regular basis and there's really interesting conversations and, of course, there's drama and all that stuff. But, like, and so it's a very tangible world to us. But to them, it's not even a thing that exists. Like, they're not aware of that little bubble. And, you know, so it made me think, like, how many other, like, super intense Twitter bubbles am I not aware of that are, like, everything to some people?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've been using the Internet... The internet may be young, but you know I've been using it for most of my life, I guess. And we've always had like these little communities, like whether it be like if you're in in your favorite game or guild or whatever in that game, or you know even going as far back with like bulletin board systems and things like this. Um, but it's never been so big as with Bitcoin. Yeah, you know, we're, we're flipping the, the the script here a bit because we're talking about how small it is. But in in comparison to like having such a a niche culture, it's one of the biggest I've been a part of and the longest lasting.
0: Yeah, well, I think that I think it's well not beginning now. It's been a process of leaking out and expanding into various other industries and. Uh, you know, other bubbles throughout the course of its history. And every time we have one of these bull runs that gets exacerbated, and then there's a pullback. And, you know, so I, you know, like I said, previously a lot of people that I knew wouldn't even know what Bitcoin was. And now after 2017 and the last two years, people know what it is. Now they might have uh, certain opinions about it that are incorrect, but it, the, you know, they, un, they've heard the terminology and they kind of understand what people or they've heard what people are starting to say about it, you know? So I, I, course I see that as a positive and it's a step by step for a lot of people not everybody's going to grok it on day one and just fall down the rabbit hole people you know there's a lot of factors that are involved in people you know getting that you know wanting to be that intimately uh, understanding of of a given topic and so you know the the macro environment of the world I think is starting to you know gently push people in that direction but you know some people will, will dive in faster than others so that's just the way it goes
1: yeah, it takes time and there's a like kind of like a whole initiation process with getting into this <laughs> world, you know, not not that it's intentional, but between the culture aspects and the education aspects and you know, when you start getting into that where you have, you know, finance aspects, money, you know, economics, uh, cryptography, yeah. networking, systems, like it's it's just so much to even start being able to like argue remotely intelligently about um and then every wave when we have a new wave of adopters it's like you have to start all over again yeah exactly the people that were already there are trying to explain everything and the people that are all arriving thinking they've discovered you know all of the they want to make all the mistakes we've already made like five times you know <laughs>
0: yeah um Well, that's the challenge, right? Like, you know, I'm sure over the holidays, many people will be at social events and talking about, you know, what are you up to, what are you interested in, and that kind of stuff. And with Bitcoin, you know, if someone's like open minded and genuinely interested, they're like, "Oh man, like, tell me about Bitcoin. What's Bitcoin?" It's kind of like, "Huh, where should I start this? Like, how deep should I begin this? Like, should I start with..." What is money? Should I start with like the technical component as a protocol on the internet? Like, you know, so it's it's certainly not an easy thing to just get someone to understand willy-nilly. It's uh, like, I mean, I think it's like many other things. You're never, you're not going to fully get it unless it's self-directed, unless you really, you want to genuinely understand it and you take the time to investigate all these things.
1: Yeah, it's sort of like uh, sometimes i feel like it's like living two different lives because when you're when you're talking to bitcoin people it's like like, like if you go to a conference um, every conversation is like hyper intensive <laughs> and it's and you can't even walk for like you know 2 minutes before bumping into somebody that wants to have a conversation like that yeah. um and, and then when you're like you know with family or friends or non bitcoin people it's like i'm like kind of like hands off about it. Like the, it, I, I'll try not to talk about it. If somebody brings it up, I try to be very casual and not get into it. And if they do start asking questions, I like only give them a little bit of data because I'm really trying to see how much they actually want to talk about this and whether they just want to like, you know, argue or or, or be ignorant or whatever. And I
0: just like to stay out of it, you know, so it's like two totally different behaviors. Yeah, I'm, I'm in it pretty much in exactly the same spot now I think we've all we all went through the phase where we you know we were zealots and anyone like we tried to grab people by the head and like tell them how important and amazing this stuff is but I'm much much more zen about it now so if it if it comes up you know I'm pretty pretty nonchalant but if there's genuine interest then I'll, I'll feed that interest but I still won't like overfeed it I'll just you know I'm yeah more more zen about it What whatever people want to do they do definitely you know
1: and then and then having uh the more you get into bitcoin the more you end up having probably um an overweight exposure to it in investment <laughs> and you know that that <laughs> that affects things
0: as well yeah of course so on, on that note you know and what with what you're doing at Bitrefill, what do you think are the kind of current drivers of people's interest in bitcoin or lack thereof and what do you think you know needs to happen for there to be more of it so i'm kind of you know obviously with Bit bit refill you're you're creating a bit of a circular economy you're trying to get people to or try to offer services that allow people to live on and with bitcoin but what are some of the you know the the main in your mind hiccups that that are creating a bit of a separation between people getting this and and wanting to be more involved or at least uh, understand it better
1: Sure. I mean, there's a lot of directions we could take this in, I guess. Um, People use Bitcoin because they want to be able to overcome some kind of obstacle, I guess, is one thing. And then otherwise, maybe as an investment, um, store of value or whatever type of investment you want to call it, Um, you know, the people that are trying to solve a problem are maybe closer to a lot of the people that are using bit Refill and buying gift card and refill products, et cetera, um, you know, more of the live on crypto type. But the people investing, I guess, would be a, 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 the other kind of major category. Um, as far as like the whole spectrum it gets really wide you know you talk about people that are using Bitcoin as a better alternative to really inflated money of their local country um, people say like we mentioned earlier that are in kind of a- oppressed or banking oppressed industries like the adult industry gambling etc Um People – there's a lot of weird little things, and this is something that gift cards can help with, like with not necessarily breaking laws or or, or even breaking rules, um, but just – filling in gaps in kind of the remittance system that the internet is trying to forge, but whereas the banking system might not be helping too well with, uh, you know, somebody that's maybe from one country living in another country trying to send value back home, but having exorbitant costs to do so or lots of delays. So there's every kind of problem that Bitcoin is solving. Um, Just depends on kind of what spectrum you want to talk, what area of the spectrum you want to talk about.
0: Yeah, and what do you think is, <clears throat> excuse me, the um, one of the major stumbling blocks to people getting involved for any one of those reasons? And just to give some context or an example, when I, I was in uh, Laos this summer, and um, you know the the Lao kip, which is the currency there, is not very desirable. They accept the kip, the Thai bot, and and the U.S. dollar in most uh, businesses, and uh, you know they accept the latter two, uh, but they only give back. The, the kip right so you kind of have a, a gresham's law sort of thing going on there mm-hmm. um and it and you know to to do a western union money transfer the the fee for a hundred dollar transfer is 15 percent you know so it's absolute robbery in in whether you're talking about remittances or money transfer and stuff like that but what you know and i know a lot of people there probably aren't aware of bitcoin but most people around the world have smartphones today so what do you think is the is the the gap that's uh the gulf between you know those people that you just referenced that are would be that bitcoin would either help or uh, ameliorate their situation and why they may not be engaging in it
1: sure i guess um one way to look at it you could say is the only way to cure ignorance is with with information um and the only way to you know you, p- some people learn in different ways, you know, and some people will learn when they experience pain, and they will try to be resourceful and alleviate that pain, and and seek out new information. So that could be like paying a very high fee, hitting a roadblock with trying to do something with your money that you can't, um, having local money that is just inferior to Bitcoin, etc. Or you can cure that ignorance and and find information because you know your positioning yourself in the world and you're doing your own research and you're always interested in finding better things or better prices or more efficient ways of living your life. Um, We could say that, you know, It's our job to educate, but this is something I'm a little conflicted about, you know, like I I always get a little uncomfortable when people are like saying that we need to onboard, you know, everybody, we need mass adoption and we need to get everybody in here. Um, On one hand, I I kind of sympathize because I don't want anybody to miss out on something that I think is like a better tool, you know, Mm -hmm. like if we're inventing fire here, we want to, don't want to leave people out in the cold, but You know, anybody who's been in Bitcoin long enough has been in Bitcoin long enough to feel like their paper buying power value decreased drastically um, when they look at their their Bitcoin balance, you know, Um, and, and... you don't really want to be responsible for uh, bringing somebody in here and then them not properly, you know, preparing themselves, educating themselves fully, losing their Bitcoin, getting caught in a scam. You know, all of the pitfalls that come with holding your own
0: digital money. Yeah, yeah, I I've, you know, come across that with myself before too. And I, I think the balance that I at least have struck is that, you know, the, the zealotry and the trying to get people to, you know, get into it or invest in it and stuff that, you know, that I've withdrawn from because of the reasons you mentioned, because I don't want to take the responsibility of, you know, kind of handholding someone or, or you know, gently forcing someone to do something and then have a negative outcome, you know, affects their perception of me and my advice. But I think putting information out there or even not information these types of discussions where people can tune in if they want and and not if they don't that just provides a little bit more context and a little bit more uh, knowledge and information about what this is and how it might be relevant in the future and even right now then that you know i'm I'm happy with that balance because you know obviously we're not forcing anybody to do anything we're just providing our thoughts on on why this might be valuable now and into the future so that's i'm okay with that Yeah, over time, we've had to learn how to get better at
1: even explaining this to people anyway. You know, I remember in the first few years I was here, I was saying things and the people I was learning from were saying things that we would all not, you know, we'd be embarrassed to hear us explain those ways today. Um, So as a whole
0: community and as an industry, we're still growing up as well. Yeah. The thing I often relate it to or, you know, I think about it in these terms in my mind, I'm a, you know, a... I guess you would say a big advocate or maybe not advocate, but I, I, I see great value in, uh, in the psychedelic substances, you know, properly used in a responsible manner, yada, yada, yada. And it's a very similar thing to me because, you know, I see tremendous benefit from them, but it's such a, um, it, you know, it's such a serious thing and, and, and it's such a, it requires so much of you in terms of responsibility and courage and and re- self-reflection and things like this. And I feel the same about Bitcoin because, you know, it's a worldview change to go from my bank, you know, holds my, my wealth and they secure it. And if anything goes wrong, I can hit them up and it's insured and it's their fault and liability and, you know, all the, the, all the safety measures that are put in place to saying I'm now exclusively... The one who's uh, in control of my wealth and as a result my future, and you know that that's a very significant mental shift that I think, well, a lot of people are very hesitant to make. And I, you know, I relate it to the psychedelic realm as well because that's a very you know uh, it's a decision of great responsibility. And I don't want to be the one pushing people into it. I want to provide some information and some context, and then let them do with it as they please.
1: Yeah, I mean, like when you, I assume you're talking about stuff like microdosing and that kind of thing. You know, no, this no, is, I'm,
0: I'm talking about like heroic dosing of, let's say, psilocybin, like your, you know, a high dose kind of spiritual experience rather than microdosing. Yeah, dosing,
1: it's you know. something I'm pretty ignorant about, honestly. So I, I can't really comment on that aspect. <laughs> Fair enough.
0: I just mean that like the way of approaching them is very similar to me. You know, you've, you've really got to be careful about how like you said like even if we agree we want adoption and you can argue like should we be striving for that but if that's something that you want you've got to be really careful about how you go about bringing people into the fold and so again my balance is not on either of those subjects is not to you know uh, grab people by the face and tell them they, they have to do it and how amazing it all is it's just to provide you know information and context and then let them let them do as they as they see fit.
1: Sure, I think the market kind of tells us what it needs at times too. You know, like when when there's a bear market, you know, even though that's probably when we should be or when is a better time to go out there and tell people that it's a good time and to invest. We are now seeing like cycles where we see like building cycles where where people are are kind of, you know, trimming all of the fat that they added during the bull run. Uh, the the kind of fluffy ICOs and things like this die out. And, you know, we, we kind of have a, a rebuilding phase before the next kind of bull market.
0: Yeah. And well,
1: during a bull market, you know, then all the scams are coming back and everybody's trying to get everybody's Bitcoin from each other. And we have to go back into like another education mode to keep the people from
0: falling off the cliff. Yeah, you're so right. So where do you think we are in in, in that whole cycle right now? I would like to think we're basically at the...
1: the you know, the bottom of the barrel. Um, I I think somewhere in the next couple of months, I would like to hope to see the bottom in in the bear market and, you know, start to see us recovering back to levels we were seeing, higher levels we were seeing in 2019. And then eventually by the end of the year, hopefully recovering
0: 20,000 and seeing what we can find above there. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's easy to look back, you know, as the saying goes, past performance is not an indicator of future Results, but it's easy to look back with Bitcoin because, in a way, because of the way it's structured technologically and the way it's played out in the markets, it's it's tempting to look back and say like you can see a pattern of how it goes. But on the other hand, I always think with Bitcoin, it's always going to surprise you. So you know, I, I obviously share that view. I think most people think like you know we're, you know we're we're finding a a bottom right now, and maybe we're in kind of like a late 2015 sort of stage and you know the whole, the next couple of years would maybe somewhat approximate 2016 and 17 but uh but also you never know i mean maybe we'll be in this sort of situation for four or five years you know i i can't i can't i, I wouldn't predict it because I, I do still feel like so much uh, the space is growing in so many ways other than the price but you never know
1: well we see a lot of like reports and, and data and you know analysis coming out like with the whole stock to flow trend recently and everybody taking a lot of confidence in that chart and that method um, but we yeah you're right we, we have to always remember that we can't actually predict the future and that there could be things like macro cycles where there, we have like maybe we have cycles within cycles and sometimes we need to just have a bear market for three years or
0: four years you know you never know yeah. So tell me – let's break into um, the tweets and the, and the article a little bit because I, I think this is a you know, really interesting uh, subject matter. But tell, you tell me who secures Bitcoin and why. You do. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and uh, the
1: reason why is because you know the only time you can uh, perceive the truth and is when you observe it. And so you need a node to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. so if you actually want to secure Bitcoin, you like, like the article kind of handholds you through, you have to first, you know, agree with what, with everybody else on what Bitcoin is, and then you have to check. And the only way to check is with your node. So you're the one that secures Bitcoin. Um, I don't want to abstract that to mean that like... You define Bitcoin as, in you can call a fork Bitcoin, or you can call an altcoin Bitcoin. I won't. I don't want to go that far. But um, well, we you know can't really see on that. what Bitcoin is. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 but you can't see what Bitcoin is without running a node. And right. so securing Bitcoin just means, you know, enforcing the rules of Bitcoin. Um, but you know, Bitcoin is just, as the article explains, it's just a way of tracking, you know, assigning keys to uh, the, you know. Tokens within the system, bitcoins, um, and and managing a rule set for what's allowed to change the ownership of those coins.
0: Yeah, that's it. And I liked how in that article, I don't know if you, you would call it a play on words or just you know a literal interpretation, but when you describe store of value, you know, because this is a concept we talk about a lot with money and in the space, of course, and you know people usually talk about it in economic terms, but you were I guess literal is the best way to describe, you know, the term, the way you described it in your article, which was that, you you know, you're literally just um, assigning a value as in like a numerical value, uh, a numerical input to, you know, for lack of a better term or the way Guy described it, a cell in a spreadsheet and just tracking how that moves.
1: Yeah, it might be an oversimplification, you know, when talking to a programmer or a cryptographer, but in general, that's really what's going on. And I do think it is, you know, pretty valuable to be that literal because it kind of allows you once you you can establish a base of like primitives and, and basic definitions of what's really happening with a technology, it allows you to very quickly dispel, you know, fud and and kind of absurd abstractions that, you know, p- the detractors will try to make. And if you say, look, bitcoin is literally designed for protecting the integrity of stored values in a database well you you can kind of like just make somebody say like roger ver for example just that argument alone makes most of what he's doing in arguing absolutely absurd because mm-hmm. it's exactly the same purpose of bitcoin cash you know like it, it, you can't say it's not for a store of value and that core ruined the whole bitcoin experience because they
0: focused on store of value
1: it's what a blockchain's for you know right
0: <laughs> And why do you think, and this may be a big question, but why do you think that's valuable, important, relevant, something that does that in the way that Bitcoin does that? Because...
1: It it allows us to have a shared truth, a shared ledger, um, without having to trust a central party. It it takes any type of, you know, role that somebody in escrow or accounting or central banking or central database management, whatever, it takes that role and it splits it up into as many pieces as possible. um, And it makes those pieces, you know, that the only way that they can kind of – coordinate and uh, conspire is if everybody does it you know um, and and even then that's you know that doesn't even get into the conversation of whether or not you actually want to acknowledge the concept of hard forks as people describe them in this world whether they even exist in this context because what I'm explaining works mostly in in protecting and and avoiding any change to the rules um so soft working you can add new rules but you can't change any you know
0: Mm -hmm. and so this makes it or how much does this make it important or matter that you know most people converge on the same consensus rules and uphold the same you know ledger how how important is it that that as you just said, like, maybe the forks don't even matter. I'm not sure exactly if you were referring to this by that, but, you know, it has been lots of forks and lots of other coins. And this has been something I've been discussing a little bit with people lately and thinking on my own, you know, obviously, most people are upholding the consensus rules of Bitcoin, and that establishes uh, many of its characteristics, and in particular, makes relevant something like its scarcity, right? Because technically, now, the the digital scarcity genie is is kind of out of the bottle you could and i just mean you could replicate bitcoin's design very easily and change one little thing but the you know the nodes are upholding that it's bitcoin scarcity that matters so what not a great question in there but tell me your thoughts on that uh, on that statement
1: yeah it's it's kind of hard to pick out one context with with all, all of this because there's a lot of ways to look at it um I'm trying to think.
0: Uh, maybe, maybe I should try to be a bit more clear with that. But, you know, so what what a lot of a lot is made of Bitcoin scarcity, right? And everyone's excited about the stock to flow and its digital scarcity and its, uh, you know, absolute scarcity for the first time and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, there's thousands, you know, we could make as many of those protocols as as we wanted. It, what What's important? So...
1: On that specific level, like the inflation of database values is kind of what I hear you saying okay. on that specific topic. So like that was always possible, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we could always make as many databases as we wanted and we could always even share them and give access to, you know, give give limited access or, or you know, authenticated access to any database for as many people we want. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference here is that just making a copy of Bitcoin does not mean that that you've created something that is as valuable as Bitcoin. Um, sure. you, you need the kind of sunk cost of the proof of work to be able to have everybody be incentivized to value that ledger as money. Um and so every time you, you create and spin a new blockchain up, um, especially one that that is, you know, trying to compete with Bitcoin anyway as just a money, um, you, you're just creating a lower security network than Bitcoin with lower, you know, kind of sunk proof of work into it. And so the incentives are you just kind of starting from scratch. Um, you know, we could talk about how we're learning over these this past decade that there is a a tribal aspect to money that you can't even deny or separate out from from our you know from the anthropological aspects of how we behave um, and, and maybe that just means that you know monies become you know tribal representations almost like brands or or kind of you know internet sovereign entities mm-hmm. um, that that kind of are on another separate layer to kind of government meat space jurisdictional uh, entities um, maybe we have money jurisdictions or money cultures or money tribes I don't know it, it seems like that's what's happening a little bit now but the question is just how long and and how in how much value is going to be lost before we we find the efficiencies in in this exploration you know i yeah. think there's going to be a lot of these networks that just prove to be pretty much copies of databases that a lot of people speculated on and and then the, many people were left holding holding bags that you know disappeared
0: yeah to- totally agree and i think the the point on tribalism is you know whether we want to call it that or, or something less offensive to wh- whoever's sensibilities or whatever. But I, you know, I think that's, that's probably is what we are seeing right now. And I guess the only, you know, the the thing I was exploring in my mind, and perhaps doing so, because I don't feel like it's that commonly talked about, it's like, Bitcoin is a tremendous innovation and in bringing together, you know, a, a variety of innovations and in making it making it all work together. Um, but the and you know people are so excited about the the opportunity for digital scarcity and absolute scarcity that now exists, but just kind of remembering that even though there's a huge moat around Bitcoin because of its head start and its network effect and you know the the, the sunk cost of all the proof of work and all that kind of stuff, it still is very much so you know socially upheld, isn't that is it not?
1: I guess um it's, it's, there's a lot to split here, a lot of hairs to split here, you know, it it becomes difficult. Like a lot of the reason why a lot of people were interested in other tribes of, of cryptocurrencies was just because they desired a higher risk profile. They right. saw they saw a potential for more upside and they even acknowledged that it came with higher risk and they and they didn't care. They just wanted to see if they could take a, you know a, a roll of the dice. So and and maybe there's a bit of a phenomenon to where those people then you know, either fail at that or that becomes a much longer-term uh, gamble than they realized it was going to be. And they start becoming tribal and start becoming shills, and then they start believing their own stories, and it just becomes a tribal mess on social media. Mm-hmm. But in the end, you know, I think that there's an unspoken truth for a lot of these people and a lot of these coins that it's just simply they're trying to get rich fast.
0: Right. Oh, for sure. For sure. But this is uh, something I talked about with uh, Knut Svanholm, the author of Sovereignty Through Mathematics. And, you know, his the point that he was making and that I've been thinking about, you know, before and since was just that, and, you know, I'll come to a question here, but uh, he was saying, you know, if dig- digital, Bitcoin is the first representation of, you know, digital scarcity. But obviously there's there's, as we've been talking about, other projects and tribes that, you know, have tried to design that and and they are i guess voting with their dollars that it's better in in some way or whatever but one of the main uh you know attributes of money that that we all value is is its scarcity is its difficulty to uh produce in in whatever quantity is its difficulty to manipulate or devalue or or that sort of thing and so that's our our big gripe with uh, fiat money today and that's why things like gold have been popular in the past and now bitcoin and so the, the the attribute of scarcity is, is so very important if we're talking about money. And I guess the, the, the question that Knut and I were talking about was, if for whatever reason, and I don't see this happening, you know, I'm extremely bullish on Bitcoin, but for whatever reason, if we decided that, you know, another tribe was better or we wanted to move over or Bitcoin failed or something like that, if it became, you know, apparent that that scarcity could be transferred over from one protocol or network to another and then maybe to another and to another is that it does that diminish the attribute of scarcity that these digital you know protocols ultimately provide and does that diminish its value as a potential money as we move forward do you know what i'm oh. trying to say there
1: I know what you're saying. And the answer is no, because that's actually a trick question. It just doesn't work like that. Um, this is why I, this gets into why I actually don't believe hard in hard forks. Um, you know, I, I don't believe that Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, there's a small chance I, I don't totally um, exclude it, but I, I don't believe that Bitcoin can actually do a hard fork where there is a full transfer of value from the old fork to the new fork. And the reason why it, that this doesn't break, the it, you, you can't Break the digital scarcity concept with this because you're literally trying to ask me, John, how can we move this scarcity of value? How can we make it portable across networks? So you're not asking me, John, what about all of the the, the inflation of scarcity I'm, I'm explaining to you? You're asking me how I can port the value um you know and, and that's not the same question i think um so i, I and and that's why i don't think hard for exist and that's why i don't think that it's as simple as just because somebody can print more numbers in a database and assign some security to that network that doesn't mean that it's a it's a good alternative for bitcoin
0: mm-hmm.
1: um i'll elaborate further and i'll say that <clears throat> i think that this is like you y- this is not just about digital scarcity. And you know, money, it, people use as a tool, and they use stores of value in different ways. And so I think of it more as people are looking to tune their time preference in their volatility profile. And so if there's somebody that, say, has... <clears throat> And and you'll see this in all the different use cases of Bitcoin and how it expresses itself. If somebody has a local currency that is highly inflated by their government and now they have access to Bitcoin, they may choose to use Bitcoin instead of that highly inflated money, even though they can't afford to save money. You know, they may just say, "Okay, even within one day my volatility is so high with this with this inflated money that I'm still willing to just hold Bitcoin instead. And even if that means I'm going to spend all my Bitcoin every day or every week or every month and not actually give myself much exposure to the long-term scarcity, um, they'll still use Bitcoin, you know? Um, or the same... The reverse. If somebody like really, truly understands the value proposition of Bitcoin and would love to be able to store as much value as possible in it, they still may not choose it because they can't afford to store value. They may just say, I, I have to I'm living paycheck to paycheck and I, all of my expenses are in fiat and I'm in kind of in the fiat trap. And this is this is how it's going to be. You know, so the the money is the tool, the, the store of value, but the, volatil- the the volatility profile that somebody suits somebody is going to be adjusted to their time preference, if that mm-hmm. makes sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. And what do you think, you know, on the subject of forks, what do you think, and I guess there's many answers to this, but what are the... the You know, the fundamental understandings that these people, let's take Roger or let's take BSV crowd or really, you know, anyone um, get wrong about um, Bitcoin and, and how it operates that inspires them to actually do that. I guess they just disagree with what you just said, right? They think it can be transferred over and this is their attempt to do so.
1: No, I don't think that's what, at least at least with Roger, I mean, I assume you're talking about maybe the premier cases, like Roger yeah, sure, sure. And, and Vitalik. Like, Roger and Vitalik are probably the two most famous cases of somebody kind of picking up and leaving Bitcoin so they could do what Bitcoin wouldn't allow them to do. Um, the I don't know that they got something wrong in the scarcity case. The, the, what they got wrong was they wanted to do things that ultimately centralized Bitcoin more than Bitcoiners were willing to to kind of support right. um, they still managed to get uh, support um, much less so in the case of say Bitcoin cash um, than Ethereum you know Ethereum has has a relatively healthy ecosystem as far as I can tell um, <clears throat> still much smaller and in the in-commerce you know by a long shot to Bitcoin but what they wanted to do is they wanted to make systems that didn't seem you know to any of the engineers and architects of this of this technology that didn't seem like they were sustainable and and safe you know and when you're talking about the context of that you're trying to provide a maximally redundant network to to ensure the security of that network the integrity of that database well that integrity of that database is the most important thing. And if you start making changes to the design of the system that can compromise that, then you're, you're strictly just choosing, you know, uh, more features for less security.
0: Right. So, and that that's a super important point that you touched on, right? The integrity of the database is the most important thing, right?
1: I think so. I mean, but well, that, that's what that, this is all about. You can abstract about. that, you know. That that's that's pretty simple and oversimplified. You know well, sure. that that integrity, you know, comes from uh, the the kind of pillars of Bitcoin's design.
0: Sure. Yeah. No. Totally agree. But I, I guess I it was oversimplified. But I guess what I'm just saying is that the you know and this is actually the, the the conversation on on the social um aspect of scarcity kind of touches on this but again just one of those pillars but it's that you know the whole reason why people and i think you touched on this in your your article the whole reason why people have confidence in this and the whole concept of immutability has to has to do with you know the integrity of the database that so people can trust that it is what it is and it'll continue to to represent that and i guess you know forks like bcash and like ethereum uh well ethereum not, not quite the same, but that it, 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 you know, changes that integrity and there's, there's gotta be a loss of confidence that accompanies that. Is that right? For
1: sure. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, and and it is important to distinguish between Bcash and A fork and uh, ethereum a new network Um, because you know the fork is just in my opinion bitcoin cash is what like a highly successful double spend attack looks like like he basically convinced a lot of people to accept the same bitcoin transaction the same bitcoin you know values twice it's just a huge double spend counterfeit attack in my opinion Mm
0: -hmm. yeah i I can't believe in 2019 you know the, the way that Rogers promoting Bitcoin cash is still like you know the same as it's been for a long time, and he's still beating that drum. but you know this uh, there's a lot of strange people and strange behavior out there, I guess.
1: sure. I, I you know I'm of the kind of theory or hypothesis or opinion that manipulating markets is actually pretty expensive. and I, I classify what he's doing as manipulating a market. You could be kinder and say he's bootstrapping a market. but, You know, funding the growth of a market, you know, as a few small entities, you know, maybe Roger and and Craig and whoever the hell else put some time and money and effort into this, Um, that it burns you, you know, like they're they're going to keep burning value if they don't get traction. It's just like a startup, you know, it's a product. And if and of course, he's going to keep pimping out his product because he's probably overexposed to the success of that product.
0: Right. Right. So giving up on it would mean a great, well, in his mind, I guess, it would mean a a greater loss than having whatever effect that he could have in bringing up the value or expanding it in some way or, or whatever. But he
1: probably sees it that way, but it's just as simple as an opportunity cost. You know, like he, he in the end, yeah. has to decide whether he thinks. His his promotion of this of this fork product is going to bring him more buying power when by the time he's done than just moving that that value into a different investment. Yeah, like
0: Bitcoin for sure. Um, John, I want to ask you about, uh, and this is something again that I've been thinking about a bunch lately. But what is the relationship uh, of the cost of you know the 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 cost of the power, energy devoted to to the network, uh, to Bitcoin mining, and its its value, its market price. I know it's kind of out of left field, but I just I want to hear your it's, thoughts on
1: it's it. There dimensions to it at this point, you know, because, yes, um, the cost that you can create Bitcoin for by mining is, you know, going to give you more advantage in and Profitability or buying power or whatever your goals are in mining, Um, but it doesn't. Paying more to make make Bitcoin doesn't make necessarily make Bitcoin worth more. You know there are supply and demand effects here, and you know ultimately uh, what we're actually asking miners to supply are block blocks you know basically ledger updates um the they're getting the mining rewards as incentive to right. to you know act out that function um but the amount of bitcoin that gets created doesn't change but every four years mm-hmm. so th- there's kind of like multiple th- there's a cycle to what you're talking about there are these dimensions to what you're talking about so i think that i think that mining in bitcoin's Will actually have an effect on the energy cost of homogenizing energy costs, you know, eventually throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. Um, it's probably good because you know, markets becoming more efficient seems good to me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what, what you know, if if energy suddenly became more expensive all across the world, does that make Bitcoin worth more? Yeah, probably, actually, you know, like Bitcoin ultimately functions as a kind of load balancer to fiat inflation so if costs are going up it's probably because fiat we're talking about fiat costs um so yeah i think it could it could be an indicator but i don't know if it's like a functioning effect you know
0: yeah and i think it's cool to look at it in those terms you know and you mentioned this in your article as well but you know just that miners supply blocks right and so there's a Supply and demand, you know, operates here where the market is saying, you know, we're demanding blocks to such a degree that uh, the miners will make economic calculation and determine that a certain cost to provide those blocks is economically rational because of how the market is valuing them. So, you know, it's... uh, and I find that amazing, too, because obviously the hash rate is going up and the amount of energy devoted to the network is, you know, is typically on an upward trajectory, which is basically just indicating that the market is saying, you know, we value blocks or we're willing to pay more and more and more and more for blocks.
1: I think that everything about Bitcoin is kind of like... I'm- Throwing a machine learning algorithm into the economy to find inefficiencies. And it it expresses itself, you know, sometimes directly and sometimes indirectly. So, you know, I I think we're going to see the same thing in regards to mining.
0: That's a very cool, uh, I like that. Can you say that again? We're throwing a a machine learning algorithm into the economy (laughs) to find inefficiencies, right? Yeah, yeah. Because,
1: like, you you can't just, like, like, for example, the mining hashing has gone, like, up on a trend even stronger than the price of bitcoin even if you factor in you know halvings and stuff it's just been like on a ripping trend Mm -hmm. (laughs) since since asics basically you know and the hash rate just there is i don't think anybody has written some kind of like you know research paper or analysis that shows an obvious you know explanation and rationale as to how this has been possible
0: Mm -hmm.
1: um i have theories about it but i but i think what it really means is there's some kind of inefficiency in the system, not the Bitcoin system, the economy and, and Bitcoin found it and the, and miners found it. Um, and it's probably something to do with exploiting, you know, the, the gap between these economies, basically something like where, you know, miners found out that the energy market was supremely inefficient in pricing and they were able to find more and more ways to exploit that and, and, and create Bitcoin cheaply. Um, but it could be other things too you know
0: yeah i i find like digging into that you know especially if i you have a little like yeah just letting my mind wander around those those uh, concepts is you know always very interesting because it's so intricate and detailed and there's so many different things to consider um but one of the things just regarding money if we and we can you know doesn't have to necessarily refer to bitcoin but do you think you know, whether it's Bitcoin or whether it's gold, you know, there's the, the cost to produce it and then there's the face value or the market price. And, you know, in most times and cases, the cost to produce it will be lower than the market price. Otherwise, it's not economically rational to produce it. Obviously, there's, you know, aberrations for certain shorter per- short periods of time where that's not the case. But, um and then I don't know if you'll you'll have a... a I'm
1: following you. Yeah, that concept is exactly why I think there's an inefficiency that Bitcoin found. Sure, sure, um, sure. You know, like, I, I don't think it's just that, that that there was a lot of, you know, lack of homogenization and energy price in the world. I think it could also be factors like... Um, like tax incentives and aspects of, of, of forming your mining of, of, you know, basically if you buy your Bitcoin through a business interest of mining, then there are probably certain tax exemptions or um, basically cost of goods tricks you can do with accounting that actually make it cheaper for you to get that Bitcoin than it might seem.
0: Yeah. And that points back to your, your statement about kind of finding those inefficiencies, right. And, and I guess monetizing them in some way.
1: Yeah. I mean, on the internet, you know, people like are, are hunting for easy money. You know, right. like from on every spe- uh, you know corner of the spectrum. From it might be trying to find where they can make ten cents, you know, a million times, or it could be where they can see where somebody's really willing to lose a lot of money and a lot of efficiency somehow.
0: Yeah, and so this has made me wonder. And you, you could even you know, put it in the context of fiat money. Let's just say, for argument's sake, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but you know, a dollar bill costs five cents to make and it's sold onto the market for a dollar or something like that and gold let's say an ounce costs a thousand bucks and it sells for 1200 and bitcoin whatever whatever it is do you you know do you think with bitcoin we will find this um like do you think there's a particular optimized ratio for money between the cost to produce it and its market price you know like obviously we're seeing with bitcoin a, a Fiat money obviously takes that to the extreme and in, in a bad way, right? You shouldn't be able to print, you shouldn't be able to create something at such a lower cost than you're able to sell it for. And obviously the government monopoly and legal tender and all that kind of stuff allows that to be the case. But in pure, a pure free market for money, do you have, like, what do you think the, the ratio between cost to produce and, and market value of money would be? I'm just curious. So I, just, you know. so
1: I don't know if this will be a trolley answer, but okay, first, <laughs> I'm not an economist and you're probably asking the wrong person. Um, sure. Actually, the more I talk to you and, and I listen to some of your your other stuff, uh, you should probably see if you can get Eric Vosco on the show I, um,
0: I I had a I had a three hour podcast with him and okay. it was, you know, <laughs> actually <laughs> so it might have been longer I think it was like three or four hours and you know we I, I had a bunch of stuff I wanted to talk to him about like I had written on a notepad and I we literally we didn't we stopped to take a drink of water you know for five minutes. But I didn't touch on one of the things I wanted to ask him (laughs) because we just started rolling, and you know he has, yeah, he has a lot to say about this stuff. So I'm definitely going to talk to him again because a lot of the questions that I'm currently mulling over stemmed from my conversation with him.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I, I told Peter McCormick that I considered him to be the most rational Bitcoiner, but it's, it's that's kind of an understatement to be honest. Like I have, I have personal like. You know reminders in my in my work that i was saying make more time to, fig- to read more of eric's stuff because <laughs> anytime i read something he says i'm like you know what this guy is fucking right about everything like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but you know what, what was what we were talking about oh so my trolley answer is well the, to me, the obvious optimal ratio is the cost being zero to produce money. And then my second trolley answer is that um, I think that maybe you're in the wrong paradigm. Um, it doesn't have you know, like the Bitcoin won't keep printing money. And so now you're going to have to change your your question to be, you know, the cost of maintaining the network to be able to provide new blocks. You know, right. um, And 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 then you get into arguing whether or not you think miners secure the network and whether there's a cost in that, and and um, so it's it's almost the wrong question potentially. Um, you can ask it while Bitcoin is still issuing. But what happens when it stops? What does is, what is your question do? Well, um, I guess
0: I guess it because it, it will still be an economic calculation by the miners, right? The cost that they're willing to devote to produce blocks, and then the the price that the market is willing to pay. Whether the the revenue for the miners is generated by rewards or or fees is that relevant?
1: Yes, extremely. Because we're talking about st- new stock. Um, this is this is for for many years to come. There will continue to be new. They will actually be creating money, right? Um, and so it, it's a it's a dynamic that changes over time and changes every four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. But I don't actually know how useful the question is because um, there now that we have a networked world and now that we have technology that can even network money, like the world is going to create every every color in the spectrum
0: and you're going to choose whichever one you want right what do you think is is one of the more under uh, misunderstood apart from what we've gone over misunderstood aspects of of how all this works like you, in your you have a lot of conversations with people both you know privately and on podcasts and stuff what do you find is something that like a lot of people often in your opinion you know get wrong or, or see uh maybe too narrowly
1: um, I don't
0: know honestly I haven't been talking to a lot of a
1: lot of non Bitcoin people lately <laughs> um, <laughs> almost for the whole past year I haven't really um, so I might be a little bit out of touch as far as what's what people get wrong but maybe I'll, I'll comment on something that's kind of gotten wrong in, in Twitter lately um, or, or social media and news which is you know, Things like Mark Cuban saying things like, you know, Bitcoin is a failed project or he's waiting for the next Bitcoin because that's going to be the better one. You know, this conception that like Bitcoin is old and out of date or, you know, old, you know version 1.0 while everybody's on 2 and 3.0, that that's definitely a misconception and definitely really makes education and debate a pain in the ass because, you know, you got one guy trying to argue features and another guy trying to argue the fundamentals of why blockchains are even useful. And the new person's like, okay, but features sound really cool, you know? (laughs) Um, And and they, and they think, well, why can't I have both? Um, And the truth is like, you can't even really give them a, a solid answer because they can have both, but they just have to understand that they're choosing like two totally different like risk profiles.
0: Right. There's there's definitely a hierarchy of importance for different features, and also features are are way easier to understand. Like you said, they're more like attractive or appealing. Like someone says, a thousand transactions a seconds, and you know, to someone who doesn't understand the, the deeper layers of of. The network and why this is important and et cetera, et cetera. Then they might just think, well, clearly it's better, can do more transactions, right? Sure, and I, but I could play devil's
1: advocate and say we can be just as guilty as Bitcoiners uh, at being closed-minded about you know the, the, these things because there've been there have been cases where I have no problem saying that we were wrong and that you know there they were maximalist aligning concepts that are just kind of you know you've got to basically sound like a religious nut to a poll at this point. Things like uh, tokens being completely useless. Um, You know, we have Tether now with billions of dollars in it. And we have articles about how people use Tether to overcome banking challenges or, you know, like – Americans don't realize that there are other parts of the world that can't use the American USD banking system the way we can. And so they don't understand that there's a concept of how Tether can actually unlock things for people. Um, Bitcoiners, you know, Maximus will be hesitant to, to respect what I talked about earlier with there being different volatility profiles and different time preferences. And if you think of money as a tool, you don't really need to care what what color that tool is, or how big the handle is, or whether it has a, a built-in screwdriver, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's it, it's not your problem in the end. And so I think that we, we've we have to adapt because we do learn things and it would be silly to like, deny or or delay some kind of cool way that people leverage this tech just because we have a, a religious alignment and, and kind of hesitance to expand our definition of Bitcoin or blockchain. Um, I, even for me like I was definitely somebody making fun of people really and, and really holding them accountable for like blockchain concepts. And my own kind of understanding of, of using a blockchain outside of Bitcoin, it has expanded. I, I think that if, if you take – if you break it down into the simple you know concept of where you're trying to be able to have multiple people participate in a database and have a shared history, um, there are other situations than money where that could be interesting. You know, um, I, the example I used to give uh, was more um, – you know, the I used to use it as a way of saying this is the exception that proves the rule, but I think it's actually the example that you can now try to find other echoes in similar examples. Which is, I do think that you could make a blockchain for tokens for securities that was run by a uh, uh, an overseer. Basically, like if the SEC deployed a Wall Street blockchain, they could achieve a certain amount of trustlessness between the participants. And them and their ability to operate with each other and still have a centrally controlled you know protocol and database that was blockchain based that would
0: be better for it right so you know things that use uses that could improve on existing systems right. which, you know which which don't necessarily have to be in competition or better or worse than bitcoin just able to improve other systems as they exist today
1: Right. And there, there are other industries like that. The problem yeah. is that like many times people go too far and they don't respect the limitations of this idea. And so those charts so try, start trying to do things like blockchain physical items. So like, you know, it, looking at similar industries to say that, that SEC example, you could say like supply chain problems. And this is a very common one. But the problem was that you can't blockchain meat space. So it's just like you're really the, the the advantage of tokenizing or blockchaining your your industry or your problem uh, you really have to have the right fit. You really need to have an overseer in place and other participants that don't that that can't trust each other um, but still have to interact digitally.
0: yeah, what do you make of this uh, new uh, DGLD I think it's called or GldG or the the backed crypto project from? Uh, I, I don't know who it's. I think blockchain is some.
1: It's uh, a CoinShares sponsored thing with blockchain right, right. Dot com, I think is the, the the two parties involved. Um, I don't know. Like I I want to you know I was inclined at first, and I and you'll even you can see me act it out on Twitter in the past few days. Um, to be like this is such garbage, this is such bullshit, blah blah blah, because of what we just talked about, not being able to blockchain real things, but you know, uh. Tether works and Tether is just one central party and people trust it and people seem to be able to redeem it. And so as a business, you know, if you can establish a reputation for people valuing your IOUs, then go for it. Uh, but for me, I don't really see a great product market fit. Um, I just think that the, the type of people that want to invest in gold will at least increasingly become, if they're not already, more interested in, in convenience or or that will kind of be polar or more interested in holding physical gold. And so the, the tokenized version kind of fills this like – it fills a gap in the spectrum, but I don't know if people want to tune their time preference that finely. You know, they just kind right. of – They might just need Bitcoin and and dollars, and then gold in between kind of comes just doesn't really serve a purpose.
0: Yeah, you know I've I've often thought that you know people who advocate for that you know solution in particular understand neither gold or gold nor Bitcoin, Um, but. If, you know, in the context of you know these maybe small incremental improvements in some aspect of how markets work. So for example, if you've ever bought a non-allocated certificate silver or gold, right? You go to your bank, you get a piece of paper, it says you own five hundred ounces, blah blah blah, and we pay to the order of whomever when you want to redeem it, you know, maybe something that allows for more liquidity of of a product like that where you still have counterparties and you still have all the rest of it. Maybe the market does demand that like incremental improvement and greater liquidity. And as a result, you know there's, a, there's there's demand, there's a market for that kind of a product. I don't think it competes in any way with something like Bitcoin provides or in, in physically owned, allocated uh, or personally owned um, gold, but maybe maybe there's a market for what it does provide.
1: Right. The, the, the problem for blockchaining physical things or tokenizing them, physical things, is that that delivery is still physical. Right. So you, you can't change that with a blockchain. And so you ultimately you're, you're just you're just creating a different type of token. And so what is the advantage of a kind of centrally managed digital token like, you know, GLD ETF or something like this? Um, what is the advantage to having a crypto one? Um, I guess you, for
0: trading, it, Right.
1: Uh, it would be more for, for, for being for portability I think, um, which yes, is similar right, a similar right. quality but the portability in the sense that like okay most developed countries in the world have some kind of easy way to buy paper gold right like they have mm-hmm. stock markets etc in, in mm-hmm. many of them even have gold shops, Within walking distance for, in many places um to buy physical gold. So who doesn't have access to gold but still wants it? You know maybe third world countries or you know highly places like uh, Venezuela and Argentina with high inflation, maybe maybe they'll have interest in it. but it's still ultimately just tr- trusting a centralized product. So it's like, I don't know. I'm not sure, like I said, it fills a gap in the spectrum, but I don't know how many people really want to live in that gap.
0: Yeah, for sure. And look, I, I, I totally agree. It's not appealing to me. I was just looking at it from the context of, you know, something that I'd actually done in the past, which was buy a certificate for precious metals. And, you know, in order to sell that, I would have to go to the bank and sell the entire thing and, you know, go through that rigmarole if I could sell one percent of it on an open liquid market for the token. Maybe, you know, all the risks are still there that I don't own it, I, I don't yeah. transport it, I don't, have, I don't have possession of it. Maybe it. Maybe there's a market for the added efficiency that that provides, if any. But like I said, I'm, I'm not really looking for, uh, personally, I'm not looking for that kind of a service.
1: I've grown more tolerant of these things, but I really hate seeing them because when they're not strict improvements over what was what people are doing before it's like i know what's going to happen there's going to be there's going to be too much value and too much trust put in it until it breaks and people get burned and and then like a negative reputation starts being developed for that tech or that company or that format so it's like i don't want to i hate having to go every through every cycle of blockchain technology always having to like watch people get burned watch people be scammy and tell lies and and pump things and and miss you know misinform people on the risks and and things at play like it's it's a real chore and it's kind of like depressing and and it's a real grind on what we're trying to do to have to see everybody try everything
0: yeah i i hear you man but i think that's it's inevitable right the next bull run is going to have the same thing and probably the one after that and you know maybe at some point we'll we'll all converge and transcend that but you know it might just be the human condition when great opportunity arises and there's a huge asymmetry of of knowledge around it there's going to be the cracks where all that shit slips in
1: yeah i mean if my theory about it about bitcoin being a a seeking out efficiencies is right then the question just becomes how efficient can it be at doing that, <laughs> and, and and what can we do to help it accelerate?
0: Yeah, fair enough. I like that. It's a ho- That's a hopeful spin on it. Um. All right, John. Last one before we break into the the final uh, rapid fire portion. But, um, you know, when you were saying about the, the tribal component of even Bitcoiners being a bit closed off, I mean, I I do agree. I think, you know, Bitcoiners are tr- the ones that I've encountered are are you know, very uh, thoughtful and educated and desire to know as much as possible. But, you know, in many of us, there exists, uh, you know, the desire for comfort and confidence and certainty, right? And so whether we're talking about Bitcoin or any other capacity or facet of life, you know, when you find a high degree of, of what you believe to be or what you perceive to be certainty, you know, maybe your ego or part of you kind of overextends that and that, that can... Uh, cause things like tribalism or overconfidence or rejection of other ideas and stuff like that, and I think in any community is, is going to be uh, subject and susceptible to that in some capacity. And perhaps you know, you know, the hardcore Bitcoin maximalist community is, uh, you know, in some way, uh, guilty of that. But sure, reason- I mean, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go I was going to say,
1: like, to really strip this down, like in the end, life is the purpose of life is being good at living. And so persistence is the goal here. And so self-preservation is a completely you know, justifiable and normal human behavior in any situation.
0: That's an excellent response. <laughs> That's really good. I like that um, and agree. But what I was going to say is that when you were saying all that, it, it brought to mind a current uh, iteration of uh, a couple of the concepts we've t- been talking about. And that is the... Um, controversy if you want to call it that around uh, hex and uh richard hart and the, just the, the the dialogues that have been going on around that you know hit the whole the project itself and uh, just wanted to uh see if you had a take on on all of that both how bitcoiners have been responding to it and engaging in it as well as you know uh from the projects and richard's perspective Well, they
1: say idle hands are the devil's play thing, and I think that's what's going on here. I I think that one, you know, uh, Richard was somehow allowed to get some kind of following and reputation that he surely does not deserve. And and even if I am, you know, falling for his trick by believing that a great portion of that um, is true when it's actually faked, um, it, it still is something that he has managed to then now troll uh, people in the Bitcoin community to believing as well and trying to kind of put out, as, you know, get their pitchforks out and put out this fire. Um, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it, I, I think that a lot of people on Twitter had had like not enough good stuff to talk about, not being productive enough. You know, in in, in this bear market, there's not a lot of action, not a lot of news, not a lot of stuff to kind of, not a lot of meat to stick your fork in, and so people. <laughs> people become, actually, this goes back to tribalism. You know, I don't think of tribalism as a negative thing. I think it's, you know, it's a scientific kind of term to me. Um, And in that tribalism, you know, if you don't have a common enemy, you will become, you will create one within your tribe. And so this is Bitcoiners seeking out a common enemy um, and just kind of, not really being very selective and not having much to select from, so they, they they overreacted in my opinion and cared way too much. Um, I obviously agree with you know the concept of of uh calling out scammers and and you know squashing ignorance and and these kinds of things related to this topic but you know i never heard of the hex thing in any detail at all until my friends and people i follow started talking about it constantly so they definitely advertised this thing to me Mm. um i didn't you know i didn't know any details about my maybe I i think i have some capability to kind of like redeem bitcoin and get free hex or something like anything i know about it is because of Bitcoiners (laughs) Um, so (laughs) that's kind of obviously I think a a symptom of a bad side effect of of this event Um, but we're also all you know kind of cutting our chops you know getting our teeth ready and and a lot of people here you know I may have been here more years than some but some people have been here a short time and they're kind of for the first time getting to experience you know doing a live stream debating with a shit coiner uh, b- practicing their ability to um, translate and and uh, relay what Bitcoin is and their understanding of it you know I, I believe that translation explanation is demonstrating your understanding of something and so when you make that attempt you are learning and you are kind of evolving the culture of, of how we talk about things. So it's not all bad. It's just not something I really have any interest in or, or want to be any part of at the moment.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> that's, that's the last point you made. That's kind of why I bring it up because, you know, the first aspect and maybe the first question on that is, you know, do you think such people should even be engaged by the community or just ignored? Because as you said, you know, there's a lot of advertising inherent in engaging, but the other aspect is um, you know, as you said, practicing, you know, kind of defending and explaining and getting ready and that kind of stuff. You know, some of the live streams, <clears throat> excuse me, that Richard's done with Bitcoiners. You know, and you know, Richard, whatever he is, manipulative, fraudulent, you know, accurate, inaccurate. You know, whatever the the actual truth of the matter is. Oftentimes, you know, in in those debates, or not, maybe not oftentimes, but there are certainly many examples of where maybe. You know the Bitcoin side of the argument, as represented by whichever Bitcoiner was was there, maybe you know didn't didn't come off that great. And I'm just wondering, like, should those people be ignored because ultimately, you know, we're we're helping them by giving them attention, or should they be engaged because they show us where we need to shore up our argument and our ability to to argue for uh, this side of you know what we're representing, and furthermore, you know what we're seeking here is truth I I, at least I am you know I want to know the truth of all matters and Bitcoin is no different and if you know some malevolent actor even though they're malevolent is pointing out you know um, you know a misunderstanding that I might have then I'm I'm still interested in that maybe I don't want to boost signal boost it but I'm personally interested in that so what's your take on that
1: um, I, I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is I think it's an individual decision. You know, like I individually decided that this wasn't for me. I did give you, a, you know, uh, an argument for both sides as to why it would be a waste of time or worth worthwhile. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you'll certainly find people that have been in just Bitcoin just as long as me, maybe longer, whatever, that uh, would take the other side than me and, and feel like they need to get involved. Like I know, like Hodlna and Peter McCormick felt like it was very necessary. And they're cool guys. I have no disrespect for them. So go for it. Um, I just kind of like can't prevent personally, like the feeling of like like I'm an old man yelling, get on and get a job. You know, like (laughs) that's 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 how I feel when I witness that stuff. But this is this is my place and my journey. And so these people are in totally different paths. Um, And and I you know if I want to play devil's advocate, I actually love the idea of bitcoiners making more content, being more brave, demonstrating their capability to explain and argue Bitcoin. I think these are extremely mm-hmm. valuable skills for Bitcoin. And and as long as they are actually, you know, um, sincere about what they're trying to do, it can't really be bad.
0: Right. I tend to agree with that. All right, John, I'm going to hit you with the, uh, the rapid fire questions now. So I don't know if you've uh, I, seen this. Uh, no, no, format give me before. a little
1: brief, please.
0: Okay, okay. So basically, the first part is just our questions that uh, you can answer however long or short as you like. Um, and then the last part, which I'll, I'll tell you when we get there, is just a word association. So I say a word, you tell me the first thing that pops into your oh, head. Jesus. Now, on the on, <clears throat> on the first part, if you want to pass on any of them, just say pass. There's no obligation to answer any of them.
1: Okay, let's go. All
0: right. So the first one is, what is money? Bitcoin. If you had to explain Bitcoin to a 10-year-old, what would you say? It's like money, but on but online. How will you know if Bitcoin has failed?
1: Um, I will be working outside of the industry.
0: What does Bitcoin succeeding look like to you?
1: Continued growth over the long term.
0: You have one resource, a book, an article, a podcast, episode, website, to refer someone who is just coming to Bitcoin. Which is it? Twitter. What other investments are you interested in? None. What's one piece of advice you'd give to someone just entering the space?
1: Hold your Bitcoin as tight as possible. Everybody's trying to take it. Don't let them.
0: What movie or song is most related to Bitcoin in your opinion?
1: Uh take your pick from the catalog of Propagandi.
0: Is that? What is that?
1: It's a Canadian punk band that sings about political topics.
0: Cool. Can Bitcoin be stopped? If so, what is Bitcoin's biggest vulnerability? If not, why not? Anything and
1: everything can and will be stopped at some point in time. The question is when. Um, how do I think it could happen? It would most likely be by through coordinated uh, efforts of multiple jurisdictions of governments.
0: What is something about Bitcoin you don't understand very well or would like to spend more time learning about? Not that I don't spend
1: enough time already, but still the Lightning Network.
0: When, if ever, do you think the first central bank will start adding Bitcoin to their reserves? And will central banks exist in 20 years?
1: I think uh, governments already put Bitcoin in in their reserves. I think there is probably also allocations that are not publicly disclosed. Um, So I think the time is now and it will only become more notable and more public and maybe even politically strategic and and PR, etc., um, what was the other half of that?
0: Will they exist in 20 years? Central banks? Um,
1: yeah. I don't know and I don't care.
0: What have you learned about yourself or how have you changed, if at all, as a result of learning about and interacting with Bitcoin?
1: That there's actually an industry and people where there's uh, both a community and uh, on the business side and on the personal side of people that I can actually consider peers and, and have interests
0: with. Love it. What is your most controversial or contrarian view or opinion? If none on Bitcoin, any subject is okay. That Bitcoin is not
1: fungible and never should be.
0: Oh, can you put a little bit more meat on that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um,. I think that the purpose of Bitcoin being a database, like if, we, if you want to agree with this premise um, and, and, and maintain the integrity of that, um, I think that a, a database that is in clear text and fully auditable by a wider spectrum of expertise people makes it a more valuable database. And if you build, if you want to build and and, and abstract or, or obfuscate any aspect of that database and network, then you're
0: welcome to do it on other layers. And does that affect how it's used as money?
1: Uh, of course. Do I think do I think that it affects it negatively? No. I think it, it's it's a good thing. My my point in this is that I actually think Bitcoin is better, transparent, and I think that it becomes a better building block if it remains that way.
0: Oh man, I want, to, I want to break into that, but I'll keep moving. Um, ballpark estimate of Bitcoin's price in five years. Mm, five years'll
1: we'll go 150k.:
0: In the future, this is a <clears throat> question from a past guest If in the future, when Bitcoin hits, let's say, a million dollars, what are you going to spend your Satoshi's on that will benefit you or society? The
1: same thing I do today. Um, maybe I'll be able to live my life at a greater scale with a greater value underneath me, but my main interest today is just living my life and having as few as few stresses as possible while help doing my best to help Bitcoin um, channeled through my career experience.
0: What is one question you'd like to see added to this list?
1: Oh, <laughs> hmm. I don't. I don't have any. Sorry.
0: Okay. Well, I'll. 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 I'll add in one final question on that list then, and it's back to the fungibility issue. And could I just get your you to elaborate a little bit more on um, why why Bitcoin functions better, um, you know, being you know more open and as you described sure. it.
1: So I have some older blog posts about this topic, um, so it's not probably not my best thinking or, or current thinking on it, mm-hmm. but um, it's something I tweeted about in the past and, and pretty recently as well, so you can dig up some, you know, search my handle in, in Fungible, you'll probably find plenty of comments. Um, but the reason is that uh, I am not anti-privacy by any means, um, I'm, I'm Totally for privacy. I'm totally for doing whatever the hell you want with your money, and nobody being able to stop you unless you're hurting somebody else. Um, with all things in life, uh, but from a design standpoint, from a technical standpoint, from a human standpoint, I think that, like I said earlier, this is this is supposed to be something that we can all rely on and all agree on. And if you start creating. Uh, if you start turning cryptography into magic, and it will be magic to some people, it already is. To, I mean, most Bitcoiners don't compile their own node code. Most they don't understand the cryptography. They, they're already, you know, uh, outsourcing their their trust through the reputation system. Yeah. Um, so if you now you want to pile that on and and introduce Basically, the argument for any detractor to say, "Well, if there is an inflation bug, you cannot detect it, or you may not detect it, or you, or 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 even or even if you silo which people would be hurt by such inflation to only the people that used confidential or or private transactions, it's still a major issue." Um, And I would, I just now that I've like been participating in the growth of the Lightning Network on uh, a product level and and. Really doing my best to understand it, despite not being a cryptographer or a programmer. Um, I just—it just seems obvious to me. Like, right. if if there's things you want to do, um, Bitcoin is the one that gave you the idea in the first place, <laughs> and and you know that there are ways that you can do pretty much anything with side chains, layers, and, and kind of basically slave or layered technology to Bitcoin. So just do it. Um, we don't need to keep entertaining reasons to fork Bitcoin if they aren't actually critical.
0: Mm-hmm. So hands off the base layer and implement this stuff on on second, third layers, etc.
1: Yep. I'm not a Bitcoin maximist. I'm a Bitcoin extremist.
0: <laughs> what does that mean?
1: It's just I just feel like you just do ne- you never fork the chain. It is right. what
0: it is, right? And do you, do you think, do you think this issue will become you know a, a big issue in the in the upcoming year two three? It feels like it might. Um,
1: so. Yes and no. Um, it, it could become an issue because there are respected people in the industry and, and in the realm of cryptography and and you know blockchains that disagree with me and would like to see you know fungible Bitcoin totally on on the base layer, even if it requires things like extension blocks and other you know kind of rigged ways to get it to work. Um, But I I think that this, you know, one one aspect I didn't touch on is it also makes Bitcoin more of a target. It gives Bitcoin, it makes the Bitcoin argument a lot more subtle. You have to start, you know, acknowledging that now, you know, uh, society has no ability to kind of track money or or uh, see what's going on it's all going to be in the dark and and the dark you know what we had that's what centralization did we put everything in the dark and i'm worried that this this turns dark once you once you make it all fungible on the base layer i'm worried it becomes something that worth attacking by governments and things like this if 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 we can argue it's a public good a public service maybe even a human right to be able to you know have the freedom of speech to use a public network as as a ledger um i believe that 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 we could get there someday that's where people look at it then i just think it's just it's just obvious to me that it needs to be transparent
0: and and usable in that way as open as possible if it's going to be that yeah Cool. Um, all right. Last part. Word association. You, I'll say the word. You tell me what pops into your head. Okay. Democracy. Bullshit. The lightning network. Awesome. Government. Bullshit. Human rights.
1: Um, I don't know. Uh, important. Violence. Unnecessary ego important wealth um
0: subjective privacy
1: important uh maybe also a human right hate speech dramatic
0: gold useless guns um complicated revolution
1: join it i don't know (laughs) participate (laughs) socialism uh bullshit family important inequality necessary
0: hell as in heaven and hell Uh, i believe uh, death liberty
1: Mm, liberty. it's freedom it's the same thing um, it's necessary human
0: right energy useful and bitcoin money <laughs> John that was awesome man really really enjoyed the conversation and I really appreciate your time did you want to shout out uh, any destinations or websites or anything like that
1: Sure. Thank you for having me. I did my best with the with the word <laughs> associations. It's a little tricky. Um, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Log. Um, same handle for like Telegram and, and my Medium blog and such. Um, but I work at BitRefill and you can find them at uh, BitRefill re- bit on Twitter and BitRefill.com. Um, and please, uh, you know, come check out our goods if you want to live on crypto.
0: Cool, man. Well, look. Thanks again. Really appreciate the time. Uh, keep up the great work, and maybe we'll uh, we'll have another conversation in uh, in Space someday.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me.
0: All right, brother. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye, bye.